Hello. You are listening to En Her Element podcast, featuring Maria Elena Madokin and Leo Kadia Chwafe. Enjoy the show. My name is Mary Elena Mariquin. And I'm Leia Chwafe, and we are back. We are back, uh, kind of. What do you mean, kind of? So when this episode drops, I will be back in the continental United States. Oh, really? Yeah, this episode drops Thursday, and I will be in flight on Thursday. Our our um our episodes usually drop at between eight and nine Central Standard Time on Thursdays. Oh damn! I don't think I actually realized I knew when you were coming back. Like I knew you were coming back July, but you never really give like a set. Oh, okay, but like, it's Kansas City. That's true. Because yeah, you don't know when I'll be back in Kansas. Because I don't that's, know when I'll be back in Kansas. That's yet. actually true. Okay, so actually this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm back from France. Um, it was really good. I was living my best life. It was amazing. I'm just living my best life in general. I've never been happier, honestly. So that's all I will say. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm um, excited for you. I'm excited to see you. Um, one of our listeners has already bought you tea to send back I, with me. And see, and that makes me happy because tea is my love language. Like people are like, wow, how do you want to like, like, make Leo Cadillas day? Give me some tea. You know what I mean? Like that was actually this makes was actually really funny. Is the other day I was in Lawrence, Sunday I was in Lawrence, and uh, I went to like this uh like I went to like some store, and they had all these stickers, and I got like a tea sticker, and I was like, this really speaks to me. So now my water bottle has a tea sticker on it, and that's just me in a nutshell, honestly. That's so funny. Like, is this is tea a new thing for you, or has it always been a thing? It's always been a, it's always been a thing for me. I've always liked tea, but it's within the past year that I've been like, I want to, I want to be like a tea person and have all these things. I've always liked tea. Like, coffee has never really been my thing. Like, yeah. I drink coffee, but tea has always been it for me. But it's been the past year that I'm just like, I want to have all these different teas and whatnot. So when I was in France, I actually bought some tea. So it was like twenty five nice. euros. It was a little pricey for me but I was yeah but I was like I want to try this live, day, so. live it up that's live true up. I, I spent money that I didn't have but that's okay and you were staying with family right yeah I was staying with family and then I also got to see some like friends which was really good so. yeah but not paying for a place to stay is is easy when you're traveling it's, it's nice it's nice so yeah I'm it's thinking. yeah it's nice it's nice so I did I did have that so it did balance out the yes i'm spending money but i'm not paying to like feed myself half the time so yeah yeah well i can't believe my time here is coming to end i'm really like sad but i'm also kind of happy because i had i hit like a really good refresh reset button Mm -hmm. um i think you mentioned it you're like man you look different and i'm like i'm just living my my life drinking my water listen I was in a high stressful situation for like the better part of five months of my old employment. So like the fact that, um, the fact that we're here and like, I feel like I'm thriving, like praise God. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> awesome. So today's topic um, was kind of an idea for um, a poem that I wrote, I've written a while ago. Um, and I just wanted to explore these ideas with you and kind of just talk on likes about it. I know that we've talked about it before, personally, you and I, because we talked about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wanted to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of we're two years removed um, from the death of George Floyd, um, which was kind of like this big catalyst for people to just like really get back in the streets and like um, just talk about how unfair police brutality is and not just unfair, but cruel um, and how much we need to reform um, in the United States. So uh, how about we get started? Yeah, let's start. Let's start. Awesome. Awesome. So I want to start by um, by acknowledging um, that in the rise of the Black Lives Matter movements, new studies have showed that 1,700, 17,000, excuse me, um, unreported deaths have happened in the United States um, at the hands of police. So we'll take a moment to honor those men and women um, by saying their names. Trayvon Martin. Eric Garbin. Tamir Rice. Galando Castile. Michael Brown. And Brianna Taylor. Yeah, so Leo, what does the Black Lives Matter movement mean to you? Um, okay, so I, I, as we're, as we're preparing for this episode, I've been trying to, like, do some, like, reflection on, like, what, what the past two years have meant, but mostly, like, how did I feel when it came out? And I think the best way that I'll explain it is, like, what the Black Lives Matter movement means to me is, like, made my initial reactions when it first came out and like keep in mind the black lives matter movement didn't start two years ago Mm -hmm. it started if i'm not really the movement maybe five years prior or four or five years prior like when i was like in college so maybe like my freshman year of college perhaps but it was two years ago that like it really like caught like everyone by storm like the nation by storm and like it got the attention that rightfully it deserves. So I want to preface by saying, like, it didn't start two years ago. It happened that two years ago. It just, uh, the more spotlight was shown on it. So my perspective about, like, really when the spotlight got shown on it two years ago was when, um, I don't know who was it. I'm blanking out. I'm blanking out. George Floyd. Yes, yes, that's what it was. I'm, I'm so sorry. It's yeah, in our show it. notes, sis. It's in I our know, show notes. I know, I know, I know. But really, I was just like, what? Um, but when that happened, I this is not funny to say, but it was kind of funny because, like, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, how could this be the case? This is horrible. This is what, like, it was all like, oh, my gosh. And literally all the Black people were just like, this is an everyday thing. Like me talking to my friends about it, they're like, this is, this cannot be true. And me and all the black people are just like, this is just the first time like you're seeing this on camera. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is the first time that like, it has been, not the first time it's been recorded, but this is the first time like 
especially with the rise of, like social media and not everyone has access to everything and everyone like it was really like you could see these things firsthand as if you were there so everybody was like shocked about the black people were just, like no and the reason like we weren't shocked is because like things like this happen all the time mm-hmm. right some in like bigger scales or like smaller scales but like the idea of police brutality and like black people being scared of the police is like nothing new like mm-hmm. I've mentioned this in the podcast before of like growing up um especially like in Atlanta like in the south um my parents being very cognizant of the fact that they are black and they have three black children would be like okay like wherever you go somewhere especially if we're going like in public places like they'll I just really remember like they like you cannot act up in the store mm-hmm. like and the reason they'll say that is because like people will assume one thing of you even if you're just being like you know how children just act up in the store they'd be like crazy mm-hmm. idiots right like I my parents would not allow me to do that one because like you we are trying to raise you well so you should do that but like two if you act up and the the wrong person at the wrong time just sees you they will accuse you of doing something and then that'll be a whole fiasco and a mm-hmm. lot of these situations that we see with um the many like black men and women who have like died under like, specifically police brutality a lot of them have just been like young kids like just being rowdy and playing around just doing like kid stuff not doing anything bad and like they just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time right mm-hmm. walking down the street eating some candy having a hoodie on, wearing right? a hoodie on yep right they're just they're just trying to live their everyday life either just being kids at the traffic stop like that's the thing like these situations a lot of these people are just like doing their everyday lives and then even if like maybe they're doing something wrong because they are black right there's all of a sudden this like oh no like police get like really frightened like the way police like the the way like our I guess like police forces like made up in the country a lot is like be like wary of like black people like black and brown people like they are so, the ones yeah. that's so when I so when I think of like what does the Black Lives Matter movement mean to me I realize I didn't really answer that question it's kind of like I wasn't surprised when it came out, I was a surprise. I was very happy because it was the first time, really, that I could have so many of these conversations with my white peers. Mm. And, like, I wasn't, like, scared to have these conversations. For the longest time, I was very scared to have these conversations with people because, like, I don't know how people would react. But it was, like, for the first time that, like, I could have these conversations and people were willing to listen But also, I felt really sad because, like, I had to have these conversations, and a lot of people don't know about this experience. And I think I was really sad, too, because I wish something like this, like, the way the media touch that I got at the conversation that I started, I really, really wish something like this would have happened when I was small. Mm. Because, like, when you grow up in the space that I was in and who I am and you have all these conflicting thoughts about who you are and your identity and it's something that I can't change you know what I mean Mm. it's not like I can't change what I look like like this is a permanent thing and I really really wish when I was small something like this would have happened because I think it would have saved me 
a lot of like heartbreak and a lot of like figure out who I am and my identity and where I place the world I probably still would have had those thoughts but it was really beautiful to see like small like black children in these Mm -hmm. like protests and having these conversations and I was like damn even though it's still gonna be rough for all of us they're gonna live in a world where they can have these conversations with these people and they will know themselves better than I did when I was small so it was very like I was really happy, but I was very sad. Mostly sad for younger me because she she needed that. Mm. Like she needed that, but she didn't have that chance, and that's okay. Now twenty five year old me can like have this opportunity to have these conversations and know myself better. But I don't know. It was like really beautiful thing because to have these conversations. Also kind of funny because everyone was really shocked, and all the black people were just like, "I don't know what you're tripping over," but okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, like, I I remember distinctly, like, where I was when I heard about the video of George Floyd's death. I remember, like, what my first reaction was. And, like, you know, I guess, like, you like you kind of already walked into this. So I'll, I'll kind of explain, like, kind of where I was coming from. So, like, being that we both are in very conservative Catholic circles – um, the Black Lives Matter movement is talked about as this like pro 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 choice anti family movement, which it's not. And like a lot of people who are very conservative and um, Catholic are very pro police, and like they're like, but we need the police to protect us. And I'm like, you are talking from a very privileged white place. And even like my father talks from a very like privileged place of like, well, black people are bad. And I was like, that's a whole nother story about my protest story. But, but like, for me, I grew up in those circles where like, a lot of these ideas just aren't congruent with one another. So it's like, no, like, if we say that we're pro-life, Right, which is a whole nother bag of chips, especially on June twenty eighth when we're recording this because of the Supreme Court case that was just um, heard last week um, in the United States. And I'm not ready to talk openly about what I feel <laughs> about that case because um, I'm going to catch some heat from all sides, all si- all sides. Uh-huh. Feminists, feminists are gonna hate me. Catholics are gonna hate me, and I'm gonna be like, "What's new? I have my own ideas, bitch." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, so for me, George Floyd's death was really different because, like, I think we we were like in the middle of lockdown. Lockdown. I say that word very loosely. That's true. In America's that's beside the point. But yes. Uh-huh. But like, I mean, people were still wearing masks to go protest. Like people were like, should I go? Like, is it safe to go? Like there was all these like conversations. Um so like the first question was like the world was really like looking for something to fight for. I think like we needed to rally around. And I think there was enough bored, middle aged, and I hate to say this bored middle-aged white women on their phones that saw this and were like I have to do something you know and, and then like communities of color you're laughing communities of color and I'm sorry and, it's always the old white woman I'm sorry that's but it's it's true mm-hmm. 
It's true. And like, I saw them rally around George Floyd's death in a way that I've never seen them rally around anyone else's death, you know? And like, um, I remember I first didn't want to watch the video. Like I didn't, I like, I was like, why this is being sensationalized. Right. And I like sat there. I don't think I ever fully watched the video. I watched it. And then we did a memorial service, um, at my job. And we did a moment of silence and I saw my boss, my boss at the time was a very strong, very um, intelligent black man. And I saw him weeping and he got up and like very impromptu, like talked to the people that were there in that moment of silence. And he, and he said like, in a in a very diverse, um, communities and like right now I stand as a black man who doesn't who does fear these things in a different way but because I'm a businessman I'm a professional I'm somewhat removed but I can't remember that we have to continue to fight for people to have the same rights as us to be seen as um human and like I'm not I'm not saying defund the police. I'm saying giving give the police the tools that they need in order to be successful. And sometimes that's other social services, right? Like so it's just it's really hard, but it's also like what you said is like education and um especially of our children, right? And I I really resonate with this little this little Leocadia who needed to have this you know, this rejuvenation of people talking about people like her and people talking about how we're going to change policy in order to create a better world right Um, I mean I want something that you said that uh really struck with me was the perspective of the Black Lives Matter movement from the perspective of the Catholic Church I'll I'll say like Yes, the American Catholic Church and their responses in some places. I think it was really interesting because, yeah. <laughs> no, no, really. God, I think it's something important God. to note because. God, it's so fucking stupid. It makes me so angry. But continue your sentence. Oh, God. Right. No, it was, it was really frustrating. And this reminds me of a conversation I had with someone. Uh, a couple months ago, I uh, were yeah. I feel like it's a mutual friend of ours. <laughs> so, uh. We, we we were we were having this we were having this conversation a couple months ago, and uh, and this 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 person was white, just for some context, so this makes sense. <laughs> Marla, stop laughing. Um, no, but in all seriousness, though, we were like having this conversation of like the Catholic Church and all this stuff, and talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and their kind of their perspective of just like ah, like I don't know, like this and that, and I was t- we're. I think the point of this conversation is talking about like why are both Catholic and this and that. And I've had, I've mentioned like, I am, I am a practicing Catholic. I love being Catholic. There's many aspects of the church that I really do like. Um, And I don't see myself ever leaving the church, but at the same time, there have been lots of moments where I have almost left the church. And what, part of and the, 2020 was one of those days for me. Really, really, actually, there's not been, been many moments where I thought about leaving church, but 2020 probably was the year where I was like, 
you know, and the reason I stay is because there's many aspects of it that I do like that I wouldn't find anywhere else. But that's beside the point. The point is the response that, and I explained to this person in this conversation, the response that like a lot of Catholic churches that I've heard was like either nothing, like no response, which is just as bad as a response that's bad, or the response was just like, oh, like, we should all just come together and sing Kumbaya. And like, it was really frustrating because it was very like, and the church, and there's a really good book about it um, called The Color of Compromise, which I mentioned before. It mostly talks about Protestant churches, but because the Catholic Church in America is influenced by Protestantism, um, I, you you can relate to it if you are someone who is Catholic. So I recommend to my Catholic friends as well. It talks about the history of the church and why the church never got involved in race relations. And it really does a good job of going like slavery, even pre-slavery to like, I think the book probably was made like 2020. So like, so like it's a pretty recent read. And the response to the church in a lot of spaces was like nothing. And like, we could talk about pro-life, not in this conversation. That's another conversation. But I am not ready to have that conversation. I probably need like six months to have that conversation. Right. So we're not going to have that conversation. But I will say this. When I think of pro-life, I think of the Black Lives Matter movement as part of that conversation. Because what is it? Really, what is the Black Lives Matter movement? As I explain to people, it is just talking about and having these conversations and acting upon the fact that like Black people have just as much much as right much rights as their white peers and in this country for the longest time that hasn't been the case or that hasn't been viewed that way right and to this day it's only 2022 i'm only that's bad but like it's 2022 but to this day to a lot of people i'm not seen as the same level as like white mm. people and that's mm. not good that's not a good thing at all so the fact that the church didn't really say anything about it the american catholic church didn't really say anything about it. As a matter of fact, I remember going one day somewhere, um, and I was, I was in Atlanta, of all places, uh, and where I family lives is the north of Atlanta, so, you know, uh, I, the pastor said something about it. I forget what he said, but he, like, brought up a conversation, like, a, like a three-second line or three-sentence line of, like, hey, let's just pray, do all this stuff. A man from the congregation got up and walked out of the church, and I was just like, you're going to leave the middle of mass because this priest, he only said like three sentences. The priest didn't even have a full conversation about it. And I was just like, and that really hurts because when you talk about faith, right? For me and for a lot of people who are practicing faith, your faith is where you go to when times are in trouble because they have something to say about it. That's great. But when the one place that you put all your confidence in says nothing about a situation, that affects you. Mm -hmm. right that it kind of makes you see think like where do I fit in and for mm -hmm. the longest time I never felt like I fit into a lot of Catholic spaces which is part of this conversation so the fact that like a lot of places especially Tennessee which is where I, I live so my perspectives be here no one really said anything I was just like damn y'all really think that okay wow so the one place that I think it's supposed to be the safest place and like I can't have these conversations they think this way and that was really really frustrating and I ever explained to this person of just like is the people that people are part of the reason that make up the church and when the mm -hmm. people 
don't say anything about this issue that affects you. And there are many Mm -hmm. Black Catholics around the world. So like, Mm -hmm. yes, this is something that happened in the US, but the Black Lives Matter movement really like went around the world too. Mm -hmm. When so many of people of faith, of the Catholic faith are like Black, and you don't talk about this issue that affects a huge portion of your church, Mm -hmm. how do you think people are, how do you think they're going to feel? You're, by saying nothing, or by saying no action or whatever, you're really mm-hmm. saying, oh, this sucks, but this is not our issue and we want to talk about it because, you know what I mean? So and when 2020 I, was when I was like, ooh, should I really be here? So for me, for me, it's actually really hard and it's a really tender spot. Like, it's a really tender spot. And I, two years removed, and I still get really emotional about it um, because there I, there's I find no reason to leave the church but if I've honestly thought about leaving the church it was because of this because of people's response and lack of response the and response. people telling and people telling me no black people are the same in this country there's no laws to um to stop people from having equal rights in the United States especially black people I can't find a law and so when I would give people books you know me as like the scholar trying to educate the uh, ignorant which is one of the um, corporal works of mercy. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Um, they're like, oh, I don't have time to read that. I don't have time to do that. And I was like, so then you don't have time to see the things that are important to me. Right. And so um, I had to, a good f- priest friend of mine um, kind of sat, I sat him down and I was, pouring it all out like I was just like I'm tired of the hatred I'm tired of the bullshit that I'm hearing in these circles when people don't see they don't see that what they're saying or their lack of action is actually hurting it's hurting the church the body of Christ because as you said like there's tons of people who are black in the catholic church about thousands I would set venture to say tens of thousands. No, yeah, because also we also got Africa over here, which right. that that just takes and, up a huge portion. So, well, like, so yeah. I and I just went to an African parish in in the Netherlands, um, which was amazing. I just anyway, there was a map of Africa in front of the sanctuary, and I was like, <laughs> I was I felt very at home. Right, oh, I like let let's talk about a little brown girl who's more milk than coffee (laughs) (laughs) feeling at home at a catholic parish in the middle of nowhere in the netherlands and realizing that the most place that she felt welcome was in this african parish Mm -hmm. um and that's just like part of like when you say things like black lives matter it's seeing the culture it's seeing what comes with that, right? And that that brought me also to a, a place of self-discovery for me, right? So, like, this priest told me, looked me square in the eye, and he goes, the church needs you. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I didn't want to hear that. That's not what I wanted to hear, uh- right? Because <laughs> that, that says, like, we need you to be uniquely yourself in your brokenness and in your wisdom that you have in this understanding. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So I proudly wear my Black Lives Matter t-shirts to mass and piss people off. So. 
I, I like to wear stuff like that in public. I like the gauge who's looking at me. Just you know, no, but I no, it's 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 yeah. Especially, I think that's where I probably felt most hurt that summer. To be really quite honest, like mm-hmm. of course the whole thing was very hurtful and traumatic. Seeing George Floyd and then, of course it brought up like childhood trauma and all that stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. all that. But honestly, what hurt the most was the response or lack of response from a lot of like Catholic spaces. That's mm-hmm. what hurt the most because just like, especially I think like in the church right at least in writing talk about social justice like we pride ourselves to be like a universal church we have all these people from these different cultures life coming together to like for this one faith this that we believe in right and there's a lot of beauty in the church with diversity like it's really cool to go to different places and see how like people like act out their faith right Mm -hmm. like that is so cool that's like so beautiful that's what makes the catholic church with the most unique faith spaces right but like but also with that with embracing all the goodness because all the ugly too i think that's the thing and that's what mm. kind of the black life movement in general like was talking about too like look you love black culture you love the music you love the hairstyles like you love all these things like you love my ass right like you, you love all these things but like with all these things comes this other ugly side of like the trauma, abuse, the racism that we have experienced in the hands slavery, slavery, right? It's hard, if you're death specifically, like all the stuff that has happened in our our history. So, like, mm-hmm. you can love all these good things, but with that, you also have to recognize these like awful things and figure out where do you fit in it and what can you do to like uplift these like voices. Like, you can't have one without the other right Mm -hmm. and that was a hard conversation to have with a lot of people of just like i know you love me right but with Mm -hmm. me comes all this stuff and you have to see me for like who i am you know what i mean so it's interesting it's It's interesting because like just to bring back of like of this like i know that it's a very big topic versus big T, uh, small T tradition, uh, big T traditional Catholic church and like mm-hmm. the Roman rites and um, having beautiful instruments at mass. But like, there was like just a guitar and a piano and like, but there was like African people in, in the, I don't know what country they're from. So I'm just going to call them Africans. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was beautiful to see like when they were singing, they were swaying, right? Like, and just beautiful how like, that's just like part of how we express ourselves is like with our whole, I say we, because like I'm trying to reconcile with the African parts, um, the African culture that has been stripped away from my own culture. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like, not only did is being Taino and being Puerto Rican, being stripped of being Taino, but it was also being stripped of being, you know, African, and it was like this right. amalgamation of like cultures in Puerto Rico. So like when I talk about being a mutt, like I understand that more than <laughs> more than right. anyone, right? Um, but but seeing like that's something so beautiful, and yet people want to take that away from from the world. And it's like right. anyway, especially and I see it especially in the church, right. So. But I have a question for you. I yeah. so you can dive into as much as you want, but your we've mentioned this like before. Um 
dating people of like other actually we haven't really talked about that but your significant other is black so yes. i you can share as much as you want or not but like you have a different perspective i think of this because like of course as someone who's like hispanic latina like you identify with all these things because you and your people have your own like struggles and stuff but like dating like a black man what is that like for you especially in this time i'm glad you brought us back to the to the topic because <laughs> um, <laughs> i was like oh we should talk about this no but also but it's, just, it's just really interesting because it's just yeah like, yeah because um, i'm sure you've you've had conversations and whatnot i'll just let you talk about it but yeah so um so first of all like um my family is very racist mm-hmm. um okay. sorry my sorry. my is very racist like my grandfather would like plainly say you will never bring an n-word into my house like when we were growing up like he would say negro because that's like the word that you use in spanish but it's equivalent to but he i don't know if it's equivalent like negro can also be like a word of endearment um, okay. But it's all, but it shouldn't be used as a word of endearment, right? Because this is part of the colorism that goes on in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would never use that as a term of endearment for my significant other. Right. Um, but this no, is a conversation. I don't think they would appreciate it. I'm just thinking, like, I don't think they would appreciate it. But keep going. Yeah. No. But like, I mean, but like the colorism that exists in our in our in my culture specifically, Latino culture, is like, oh, but but it's a term of endearment, and I was like. But you like no like no that's no we don't use those terms of endearment and for me it's a lot of for me loving a black man is a lot of teaching people around me how to unlearn the behavior that we've perpetuated in our culture especially colorism right I'll give you I'll give you a story of my father. So I'll tell you two stories. Um, and then one related ex- uh, exactly to the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay. Um, so the first was my grandfather, the man who would say, you were never going to bring an N-word into my house. Um, I wanted to be the one to tell him that I was dating a Black man. Um, and... I wanted to be the one to, to, to bring that up to him because I didn't want it to hear from someone else because I didn't want him to feel like I was hiding anything. I didn't want him to feel like I was ashamed because I'm not. And I also wanted to set the tone of what my relationship was and how I'm an adult who's made a decision and you can either respect it or this will change the way that we have our relationship. Right. So, especially because I know that I want to marry this man. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might as well you might as well start saying something now instead of like right. Of. <laughs> right exactly so um i call my granddad i'm like hey granddad how are you you know all of his conversations in spanish you know and i'm piddling around i'm definitely like not talking about it like i'm definitely like hot under the collar my heart rate's going and i said hey grandpa i just want to let you know like i'm seeing someone and he's like you're seeing someone and i was like yeah I'm seeing someone and um he's like oh okay 
tell me about him. I was like, oh, well, he's, he's great. He has a great job. You know, like, you know. He's, wow, he's, she's really high for this man of great job, great personality. Great personality. You know, he's funny. He's kind. He's hardworking. And, like, my granddad's like, okay. And in my head, I'm like, I'm saying all these things, but I'm not saying what I want to say. Right, I don't think he care. He cares, but doesn't so, care that he's all these things. You know? Right, like, right, and so like, and he's Jamaican. His family's from Jamaica, and it was this pregnant pause, and I'm like, oh, I'm like looking at my phone, like, did my call drop? Did he hang up? Like, what's gonna happen? And he, his response in Spanish is, "Well, can he handle your bullshit?" He's like, because you're a lot. Oh, my you're God, a lot. that was his response. And to me, that was the most accepting response that my grandfather can is capable of giving me. And honestly, yeah, he's just like, yo, can you keep up? That's what he's saying. And so, that, that's like, okay. He's like, okay. And so, and so, like, my grandmother, who I thought would have less of an issue, had more of an issue than my grandfather. Really? Um, and just seeing, yeah, and just seeing how, like, um, I've had to, like, explain to my grandma, like, actually, we can't say that. And, you know, like, because this perpetuates colorism, right? Or this, I'm not racist, I don't hate anyone. Yeah, but we just can't say that, right? right. Because we've allowed it to happen for too long. And that goes into my next conversation was the conversation with my father. Um, my father, on the other hand, um is so racist, um, so, so racist. The day that I decided that I was gonna go protest um, in Kansas City on the plaza, it was um, maybe two or th- two, second or third day of protest. I went with a mutual friend of ours, Nancy, um, but I, I didn't know how things were going to go. Um, the first two days in Kansas City were very violent. Um, yeah. and there's definitely a crowd shift. Like there was the, the later in the night you were, the more violent it became. Um, and I think just on both parts, like both parties, like both the protesters and the police, like they just, at some point you're just tired and exhausted. Yeah. I'm not giving excuses to anybody. I'm just saying like, that's just how war works <laughs> for lack of better word. Um, and so I called my grand, my father and I was like, um, I had actually at that time, I wasn't dating Edward yet. Um, we weren't together. And but this was like in the middle of 2020, uh, right before we started dating. And I felt very convicted to go. And I'd said, I'm going to call my parents and tell them that I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen, but my parents need to know. I'm not asking for permission because I'm damn near how old was I two years ago? 27, 20, yeah. 27, 27 years old. So like, I don't have to ask my parents for permission, but I'm going to tell them what's going to happen just in case something does happen. So I call my father and I, I tell him, Hey, I'm going to this protest this evening. And he goes, why? And I was like, because there's people dying and I have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to do. And this might not be the right answer. But this helps me feel like I'm doing something. 
So I'm going to go. And my dad said to me, but black people are bad and you're not even black, Mary Elena. And there was a moment that I had so much anger in my heart. And I said so many F-bombs in front of my very fundamental evangelical father. Um, And I was like, I don't know who the fuck you think you are, but if you think that you're different because you're not black, I'm sorry for you because you have a black, you have a brown son in this country and the police doesn't give a shit. They just see not white and they don't give a shit. Yeah, that's true. I told you for you. You have the same boat too, so. And so my dad was like quiet and I was like, I'm not asking you for permission. I'm telling you what I'm doing. Um, he goes, yeah, but black people are just bad. And just like this idea of like criminality that my father has linked to being black is just like really interesting to see. Um, and then um, the same conversation with my father when um, he saw a picture of my boyfriend and I. And, you know, we're on, we're on a family conference call, which you know how they are. They're pretty chaotic because there's a bunch of them. And they're always talking over each other. Our family doesn't do video calls. It's too much. There's too many movie parts. <laughs> so. Wait, you're saying so, he was on the call with you all? Yeah. Okay, it, okay. No, no, no. My boyfriend wasn't. It was just my parents. So my dad, oh, oh, my dad, oh, okay. my stepmom, my siblings. But I think, like, I was the only one videoing in. Okay, okay, okay. And my dad goes, um, he kind of says a comment. He goes, I didn't know that I was going to have monkey grandchildren. I, I was going to have a what? You know, you heard me correctly. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. He said, I didn't know I was going to have monkey grandchildren. Wow, wow. So my sister has exclusively dated black guys so like that's not a surprise and I expected my sister to be more upset about this comment but um I'm the activist in the family she's the peacemaker so I guess it was my job and I said excuse me I want you to tell me exactly what you mean by that and my dad got quiet because he knew the excuse me was I heard what you said. I'm going to give you time to fix it. And if before, you don't, we're going to have... And so he so he goes, you know, babbling. And I said, don't you ever speak like that about my family or the family that I plan to have or anyone I love ever again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Uh, He's like, oh, well, I didn't mean anything by it. And I was like, you know damn well what you mean. That will be the first and the last time that you talk like that. And then my, he's like looking at me and kind of saying like, I was like, fuck around and find out. In front of everyone. Oh, that's true. We also have to remember this conversation in front of everybody. Yikes. Fuck around and find out. And my little brother was like, we should stop. She's getting crazy eyes. But this is the kind of space, right? And so for me, when I think about loving a Black man, I think about, one, the biggest thing that I started thinking about when I started dating Ed was I really love him. So 
thinking about family was something very quickly that we that I started to do and it's realizing that being a mother of a black man in this country the United States to me on the outside looking in and maybe you have a different perspective on this because your mom does have a son a black son mm-hmm. um it's unique with Baptist Baptist's um, situation but like loving a black man means your heart is never really at rest unless they're right next to you (laughs) because you don't know who's gonna have something to say about it and knowing that because my significant other is black and because our children will be black it's my heart having to know when to fight for them and know when to sit down and know when to say like this isn't mine I have to sit down and let my husband my significant other in this case lead this conversation or lead this um or lead this and I think the last story I will share and this specifically linked to the Black Lives Matter movement was this was maybe September October I don't know it was it was still 2020 or 2021 there was a army sergeant or army lieutenant who was pepper sprayed in his car at the gas station do you remember that uh, yes yes i yes i do keep going keep going and he was pe- he was pepper sprayed in his car in uniform with his dog and i watched the entire video and sobbed like i i sobbed because i didn't care what the lieutenant's name was i didn't care who he was all I saw was Ed. And all I saw, all I knew was that sometimes my significant other t- drives really late at night for a really long time because he needs to get to where he's going or et cetera, et cetera. And in my very privileged, very not black, naive mindset, I thought, because my boyfriend is smart and educated and in the military, he's safe. And that video to me proved my biggest fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that no matter how much he's educated, no matter how much we educate our children, unless something changes in this world, and unless something changes in the United States and people start being seen as people, they'll just be seen as some another little black kid. And if that doesn't start changing in my family and in the spaces where my children will predominantly be, my hope for the rest of the world is really limited. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. How about you? How about me? (laughs) The the recorder is going to be like, what did she say? No, it's, wow. It's just, it's, it's really hard. It's, there, there's just this reminder in the back of your head, like the last thing that you said, that no, no matter like what you do, it's still like falling. Like I remember when that video that you mentioned that it came out. I did not watch the video because I, I personally can't watch the videos because I just, I just, I just get into a bad, bad hole. Um, but that was really shocking to see because this was a man in uniform. As a country that, like, is all about, like, yes, our armed forces, our veterans, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, 
you get the applause, right? So it's kind of like, wow, he sees a man in uniform. Okay, I'll just respectfully talk to this man and see what the situation is, right? Not even that. And so it's one of those things where, like, it feels like you are never safe. And it's for Mm -hmm. me as someone who is an educated, intelligent Black woman who talks proper, whatever that means, all of these things, right? Like, who, who, la- who lacks who lacks choice of used, used demonics. I think that's probably the best way to say it. Right, exactly. Like, even I, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, podcast before, like, I will, like, if I, depending on the space that I go into, I will look the part if I need to. But still, when people see this, they have five and one million thoughts, right? And this part is, like, something, like, you can't, like, change right like mm-hmm. that has like a permanent like feature um so it really sucks but i i do remember like you like talking about like your like uh like relationship with your significant other with ed and like having these like conversations was like super hard and like whatnot like i know for me like i feel like i mentioned this before like especially if i like go on a date or stuff like that and it's like someone that's like not like a black person i always like at some point will eventually have to be like all right like the part that like makes me nervous which is so sad to think about because when you go on dates you get very nervous for many reasons although valid but the part that always gets me is like okay i am a black person what is this person like gonna think which is such a sad thought to have because it's like well this is like me like there's if there's red flags about me there's probably a million other like red flags right but there's like the one thought you have so like having those conversations with people for me is like it gets easier as you like get older but like it also gets a little like hard too especially in the climate that we're in of having these conversations of just like okay like dating me means that like xyz will happen like i will have these thoughts i will have these fears i you know what i mean and like some people it's really it's really sad some people aren't able to like have those conversations and keep up but then sometimes some people are able to like have these conversations and like keep up with it and like Mm -hmm. it's like fine so it's one of those things where like you like you like keep in the back of your head which part of it which the point of me bringing this up is like it's something that like never goes away as someone who's like a black person in this country especially as a black man that is definitely like a different experience like a black woman but there there's differences but they're really similar in the sense of just like these are things that you always have to be cognizant of and aware of I think especially like I know for me as someone who really is in these like not very many like black spaces particularly like because in Kansas City like when I think of like okay like, I'll go date people and eventually if I want to build a family or whatnot there is also a chance that I may not marry like a black person right so for mm-hmm. me in the back of my mind I'm just like that's fine but like I have to have these conversations and these things in mind. And these are things that like, maybe like your average white person in the street is like not thinking about because they're just like, I'm gonna live my life and keep it pushing, right? But like, these are things that people like me have to think about all the time because our experiences in the past, our experiences like people will look at you as other, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what you do or what you say, even if you're being the best person in the world, even if you're being like the worst person in the world, the thing that people will think of like, oh, mm-hmm. they are black. Or it's because they're black. Right. And like, 
once again, it's like something like I can't change, right? Yeah. So I think, uh-huh. no, it's like for me, like understanding like what that price is, right? And that that price, because like that was the name of the pot, the, the poem that I wrote was like, and I, I felt so inadequate to be the first person to like talk about this because like Black women have been loving Black men forever, right? Since the beginning right. of time. Uh-huh. And like, I just felt so out of place to say like, yeah, like, because I, I try really hard not to appropriate, you know, um, cultures, but also understanding that there's a mix of my culture. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But like, the price is like, this lack of peace. It's this fear. It's this little this little voice that says like you always have to be like you're never going to be on green you're always going to be on yellow yeah you're always going to be on green alert like yellow alert like you're always going to be you can never bring your guard down because just when you think it's like safe it's like well it's really not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah exactly so yeah um it's it's hard, but at the same time, actually, I was I was talking about this with a good friend yesterday about this. It's hard. It's hard being in this country as a person of color. It's hard being in this country as a black person. Um, but at the same time, what I will say, I am grateful for the time that we're in as much as is very chaotic and there's so much happening i am very grateful that we are in a time where p a lot of people can vocally have these conversations Mm. and they can go out and be activists and like protest because like i mentioned earlier like having like the Black Lives Matter movement be like put on the map like two years ago, really for the first time. Of course, it was really sad, but it was really beautiful because for the first time, a lot of these people were having conversations and like even people who like didn't think about before, like in a weird way, like greatness that came out of it because like a lot of people had these conversations for the first time. A lot of people for the first time like reflect on like who they are, where they put themselves like how do they fit into it and like I'm fortunate that I live in a time now where like I could talk about these things and I can speak my mind unapologetically without yes backlash could happen but without fearing the intense backlash because really like 5, 10, 15, 15 years ago these things would not have been the case so like I wish this was something that happened when I was younger but at the same time, it's, like, good that's, like, happening now. And, like, people are able to, like, speak up more. And I saw a lot of good things happen and a lot of, like, resources that, like, like came out. And so, I don't know. That's, like, my positive outlook on it is that a lot more people are able to, like, educate themselves now. Which also means that you don't have an excuse now. Before it was like um, you don't have an excuse, but like now you really don't have an excuse. Yeah. Well, some people will say I don't have time because I have to be a mom. Look, let me tell you something about time. You make the time you want to make for love. Yeah. You. Well, that's the thing. Is like you don't want time. So, 
Well, we've been talking for close to an hour, which we try really hard not to do, but I think that we both got carried away. It's something that we're both very passionate about. Uh-huh. Um, what do you think about calling it a day? Think about what? What do you think about calling it a day? Yes, yes. I Also, this is my first day back at work today, so my inbox... I can imagine. I can imagine. Honestly, I'm not saying I'm going to quit, but just look at the inbox makes you want to, should I do this? But that's beside the point. I won't quit. (laughs) If you do, I support you. Uh, Okay. Actually, thank you. Thank you. I won't quit, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know I have your support. (laughs) Well, guys, thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Mary Lena Mariquin. And I'm Leo Cadillo-Chuafe. And this is uh, Honor Elevant. Until next time, stay hydrated, take your vitamins, and be kind. And remember <laughs> to always come as you are. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. It's still going. Oh. <laughs>